You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today, the founder of The Magnet Theater, Armando Diaz. Armando, thank you for talking. Hello, Louis. Nice to... Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. This We're recording slightly differently today, and I don't have my headphones on, and it's a very disorienting experience. So I'm going to periodically stop throughout the interview to comment about how disorienting it is to not hear our voices very loudly in my ears. That's it. We were just talking about uh, our experiences hating working on film crews when we were younger. I remember, like, leaving my house at, like, 2.30 in the morning to hop on a ferry to go into the city to be picked up by a van downtown to be driven out to New Jersey to go into the middle of the woods to lay cable for 12 hours and hang out with people that, that I didn't feel... I didn't feel cool around and just like that sad, bleak, empty, shitty feeling inside. Do you remember, because you studied film when you were younger, do you remember the moment or a moment where it kind of occurred to you that it wasn't your, uh, it wasn't the place for you? Oh, yeah. Um, I I used to record sound, so I'd be like recording on Anagra and uh, there was this one film shoot, it was like an indie one, and um, we were out of state and uh, we had these days where it'd be like 20 24 hour days uh and it was just the biggest problem was like they were writing the script as they were going Mm -hmm. like they had some changes where they could get permits to use certain locations so the whole reason for us to be like out of state and away from chicago was totally out the window so um we were just in the middle of nowhere uh and they couldn't use the locations that they had to use and then they had to do all these rewrites. So, like, I remember showing up on set at 5 in the morning, waiting for eight hours, not hearing from anybody, like, parked at some motel with a few other people wondering what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I found out, like, oh, they're working on the script. And it's like, well, don't call me to, like, be there. And uh, I remember uh, the moment was was that uh, they were doing a photo, like a whole crew and cast, uh, and everybody was complaining and miserable. But then I noticed like everybody was like smiling mm-hmm. in the photo. I was like, why is everybody smiling? We all hate this film. Uh, so I didn't. I just like tried to put on the like most sour face I could <laughs> just to document like this is how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know where that photo is anymore. But like it was kind of clear. Everybody's like smiling. And I, I look like somebody murdered my family. Yeah. I, I remember, like, when I when I was going into film school, having this kind of like romantic notion. I thought it was going to be like the '70s, and I would like find my team of people, and we would just have our like Araflex cameras and and be like guerrilla style making all this awesome art. And, and it turns out it's just a lot of waiting around and feeling really sad for long stretches of long nights, and and just like working these terrible shitty hours and stuff. It just like it, it never felt right exactly. Yeah, and this is where I got steered to improv because, like, I was in film school when I started taking improv classes, and a lot of those, like, long-ass kind of crappy shoots, the films are just not that great, you know? It's kind of like, it just kind of felt like everybody did a good job of, like, putting a production together, but then, like, nobody really worked on the script, and what I loved about improv was just that... You know, you immediately had feedback from the audience as opposed to like, you took six months to make this thing. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and there's like dozens of people involved and lots of money spent. And then you show it and then it's like, oh, well, somewhere along the way you could have gotten some feedback and would have known that like, oh, this is not a good project or this is bad writing. But like improv was great. It was like immediately as soon as you had the idea, you did it. You didn't have to wait for six months and there was response. Yeah. Well, it's also something that like you encounter a lot of in film school of people defending their ideas Mm -hmm. because you have so much time and you have to like sit around the table and everybody has to give their two cents about every script and every scene when it's really clear that something isn't playing a lot of writers are really thick-headed and don't listen to it because because you're able to like rationalize your way out of it and then you spend all this money back then you're shooting on 16 millimeter films you're spending a shitload of money and cut it together and it doesn't work it's a bunch of it just doesn't play and that's one thing that's so nice about improvising a lot is you just if people aren't laughing and you don't sense them being engaged with you then you know this sucks i can't rationalize it to you yeah it keeps us honest um you know because nobody's going to give you patronizing laughter but also it's like you don't defend a scene intellectually like oh well this this is i'm just using all the phrases and terms that uh, I would learn in film school to defend my ideas of film, even though it's not any good, you know? And that's not to say like all film schools like that, but like there was just a way of hiding behind like the, the language where it's just like, basically it should just be your idea in the audience. And does it play? And, you know, are you reaching people? Is it doing what it needs to be doing? Cause I always hated the pretentiousness of it. Yeah. I like I think about it and there's a pro and a con to the amount of time that I spent improvising the con side to it is because because it's instant gratification um, I kind of gave up on keeping up with stuff like for a while I could I was pretty good with a bunch of different cameras and I was pretty up to date with and I had a pretty good work ethic and that kind of got eaten away from from years and years of just getting laughs all the time and, and you kind of get lazy, you know, and at least for like my character, I didn't push myself too hard anymore. The pro side to it is I learned so much more in the first three years of improvising just about scene structure and, and like story arc and stuff, just like accidentally, just by doing it and, and, and knowing of like motivation all of a sudden made sense to me in a way that it never made sense when we were breaking scripts down. And I thought that was like the greatest thing in the world, having to, having to, live a script from the inside when you're yeah it's like you got this laboratory to experiment with characters and story and like yeah for me i agree the same experience because like when i was in film school like i had nothing to say i was young i didn't really live any life um and uh, um you know uh, the the ideas i'd come up with would just kind of be imitations of things you'd see or you know uh and i feel like that was probably a lot of the students were like you're 18 years old you're 20 like you're not in the mafia like you know you're not gonna be kurosawa like live your own life and you know have it be truthful and tell that story so like with improv it was great that you just got to like try a bunch of stuff and get to know yourself and i think that's kind of the biggest thing about being an artist is like getting to know yourself and and kind of get in touch with like your thoughts and feelings and opinions you know before you spend tens of thousands on it film school education and yeah. like yeah. you know your indie feature there's also like your inexperience when you're making films when you're 18 19 really shows 
whereas you're an experience when you're improvising, like you can play mob characters on stage and, and the fact that you're so crappy at playing them and embodying them can still work and still be really funny. Whereas you really can't do that on a film unless you're purposely trying to make a comedy out of it. It just looks like crap and then you've wasted all this money and, and you know, you have to have your tail between your legs. There's just, it doesn't feel like there's quite as much to learn from that experience. Whereas like on improv, you can kind of start with anything that you, that you like. If you like sci-fi, you can improvise a bunch of sci-fi stuff. If you like doing Tarantino characters, you can do that voice and you don't have to be a good actor, but you still manage to get to, like you can figure games out and you can figure out stuff that's really fun and you kind of like, I guess like learn about yourself a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, I like the idea of just getting to play and experiment more before you actually do a permanent work. Yeah. You know, and I think the thing is, is like, when I, I look at like early filmmakers, they're kind of doing that because you would see, um, you know, they would just, you know, they just shoot stuff and try stuff and modify it and then try it again. And uh, since, you know, it's like they had their own equipment and, you know, um, you know, it wasn't like the studio had the stranglehold on like the project because it'd be like okay well you're charlie chaplin you're the director and you're in it and you can shoot it and then you look at it and then you're like oh you know we need this other scene and mm. um and there's just kind of more of an immediate process of like you can try it uh you know and so that myth about like being an auteur i think it really existed in the early days um but you know it makes sense with the production model that you have so much at stake that you have to like have this process so you can't really just try stuff but like with digital stuff now i guess now we're in the age where people can um but then also it just kind of becomes cheap Mm -hmm. yeah and and well there's like there's a roughness to a lot of the early movies that i that i enjoy and that kind of goes hand in hand with improv in my mind of of like it's just like kind of not 100 percent polished and 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 it works in its favor when like movies became when they figured out like the more practical ways to make everything and it became about efficiency and output uh, um, and it was like movies were the mass media and they became like heavily heavily censored and heavily monitored like everything took on this polish and this gloss and this real kind of like uh, um, uh, uh, well glossy character it's like not quite true to life but if you look at, at some of that stuff, like early Charlie Chaplin, before he he kind of had his head up his butt for a while, some of his later movies are pretty insufferable. Um, or like a lot of those early guys are a lot of like French stuff in the 30s. There, there's this kind of like, they're rough around the edge in a way that, I don't know, it, it, that imperfection speaks to me a little bit more. There's something... Yeah, there's kind of an life-like. earnestness to yeah, it. Yeah. Well, there's also the other side, which is like super formal. It's like with Chinese cinema where it's like every every square inch of it's like thought out and discussed and, and formalized like what it's going to look like. So it's kind of like, um, you know, um, it's so, so considered, but it makes it very beautiful because, um, you know, uh, uh, that uh, all things are supposed to contribute to the whole story mm-hmm. and all that and the compositions and you know um uh and so it's like so formal that uh, um it works too you yeah. know yeah 
Um, but it's kind of like more like when the mechanism is the thing that's in charge. Yeah. You know, that I don't like. Yeah. You've, you've talked, I remember you talking about this in class a lot, but you and I have had, had conversations about this stuff. You talk a lot about culture and, and art and, and, um, like what speaks to you these days when, when, when you're looking to be inspired or looking to feel connected, what, what, what do you go to? Or like, are movies still a passion for you or, or is that something that you've kind of moved past? Um, I guess I end up watching older movies a lot. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Cause I, I've got, you know, like I do sort of regret going to film school cause I used to enjoy films a lot, you know, just anything was great. Like, uh, um, uh, but then you get a little too savvy. And so you just kind of like know where things are going to go, you know? So it's like hard for me to follow like TV series. Cause I'm like, okay, I could totally see the plot patterns. Like, you know, difference between one popular TV show and another popular, t- like it always has the same kind of like, you know, uh, you know, there's going to be certain plot lines, even though like, you know, this is the Sopranos or this is breaking bad or this is Friday night lights. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I don't know. You just can't enjoy it that much. Um, but like with the older films, I don't know. I'm a little more forgiving. Like even if they're like hokey, um, uh, I feel like, I guess there's something I resent in terms of like that. We're so savvy now, you know, that like choices are so deliberate, you know, um, whereas uh, I'd kind of rather see them um, just be sort of shot in the dark and it's like a total mistake. Um, you know, so I guess it's probably not, I'm not going to have a good answer to this question because it's been a little hard to get inspired, mm-hmm. you know, by current stuff. Yeah, so. Yeah, I guess it's a little depressing. Yeah, no, not really. It, it it's It's also like... I don't know. It, it, it. I went to um, to Best Buy to find a movie a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I told you this or not. And uh, the movie section is gone in Best Buy now. Yeah. And so everybody's wearing shirts that say "Ask me about Chloe." So I had to ask about Chloe, and they looked at me like I was an idiot. And I was like, "What is Chloe exactly?" And they're like, "Chloe's the movie robot." So there's a movie robot that you go to that we asked. Uh, I was with Megan. We asked, uh, so so d- does it work? We request a movie, and then Chloe, the movie robot, burns us a copy of that movie, and they were like, yeah, that's exactly right, which turns out to be bullshit. It's just like a gigantic vending machine. It's what they have. The point of the story is uh, um, not only are you locked into kind of just what they have in stock, which is a much smaller selection than they used to have, but you can't get lost. You can't like go looking for stuff and and get like surprised by stuff or find something really weird. You have to just go in knowing exactly what you want to be seeing. Yeah. And that's like something with everything being so super accessible all the time. I feel like it's actually much, much harder to be surprised or find accidents or you just end up kind of going to the stuff that you already know and becoming more, more of a um, more of a nerd about the stuff that you're already a nerd about. Yeah, because like I don't know, I got Netflix and, and yeah, there's a lot of movies in it, but there's something about like you want to watch something good, like you know. And I've had uh, I had a teacher in school that you know urged us like don't don't waste your time on crappy stuff too much, you know, because it's like. You could watch a lot of stuff for kitsch and whatnot. And so, like, that, that resonated with me. It's like, oh, yeah, if I'm going to spend two hours on something, like, I want it to be good. 
Uh, and and they, they always get annoyed when it's like I'm watching this. It's like, oh, this is so bad. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not enriching myself in any way, you yeah. know. Um, but I think, you know, uh, probably what film needs or culture needs is to become local again. That, like, it would be great if um, you could go to a movie house in your neighborhood and see stories and documentaries that had something to do with, like, your local, you know, people or region. Like, I know that's, like, very, like, you know, hippy-dippy, but, like, I think one of the things, you know, the movie industry is, like, sort of fallen off in terms of, like, it's either, like, a big action picture Mm -hmm. um, that's translatable into any language because it's just all explosions or robots or vampires or something. Um and that's it uh and you know the the specificity like you know how's this relevant to me as opposed to oh okay this is going to be this mass comedy that's just like this other mass comedy you know like and it's just the imitation so it's that risk of like you can't make anything that's too specific because then it's like well it'll fail or we don't know how to sell it you know what i mean mm-hmm. whereas like if movies became like theater again where it's like all right this where we're going to have like this experience here and it's not going to be the experience that everybody else has like to me i think you could get some really relevant films where it's just like okay just like you would put up a show at an improv theater where like yeah everybody liked my show and the people that liked it were there and you saw them and uh it felt immediate yeah you know yeah there's i mean there's a way that that's happening kind of online, like stuff goes viral and it like kind of catches its audience, but it doesn't, it's not the same thing as like going to a destination yeah. among, among other people who are sharing this experience all at once, all together. Mm-hmm. And they have to, they, they have to be, they can't check out of it for, you know, an hour yeah. or however long. Well, some of the, you know, some of the most important experiences for me were times where I was somewhere and I was experiencing something special in the moment and you become aware of like, oh my goodness, like this feels like this moment in time that is not going to happen again. And, uh, um, you are, uh, um, you're, you're experiencing it with everybody else and, and you feel that energy and that buzz, like suddenly you and a whole bunch of other human beings suddenly got moved. You all laughed together. You all felt this thing together and you felt this communing you know and so like to me like the internet is kind of a bullshit community like people always say community with it and and it's like it's not because you know it's it's you're not really amongst people you're by yourself and 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 you know i'll watch stuff that i enjoy but it's nowhere near as good as like when i would see stuff and it happened in person you know like you just we're other we're with other people well, when you have that experience, too, you, you feel... Because, like, I don't know how much stuff you watch when you go home at the end of the night, but, like, I've definitely hit a point where, like, you know, you're kind of addicted to entertainment. You're kind of, like, hooked onto it. There's always some shit that you're doing. If you're not watching something, you're playing something or, or Yeah, whatever. like, you feel like you have to be constantly entertained or otherwise you're miserable. Yeah. Which, uh, people have talked about this before, that, like, you know, the, the need to not be stimulated so that you could have your own thoughts. Like I totally believe that I've always felt that for years where it's like in order to 
get in touch with yourself, you got to spend time alone, you know, have some time. You got a few hours where you're not watching something or listening to something or, you know, having this outside stimulation, you know, you can contemplate. Yeah. Or, or having stuff kind of, um, explained to you or shaped for you, Yeah, you know, cause, cause you get like, first off, I think it's bad to constantly be hooked into watching stories all the time. We're like story addicts right yeah. now. Um, and, and you do like, you just kind of like watch everything as a consumer. You're just like consuming more and more of this stuff, which I, I think has a couple of bad effects. One effect is you just are like overwhelmed with boredom. If 10 seconds passes and, and, and you're not watching something new. But the other thing is also like, it takes some of like the specialness away from it too. It, it, like stuff like what you're describing where you, you kind of like realize in that moment that you're seeing something that's just not going to happen again, uh, or you're sharing it with people that you like, you're not going to be able to share it with again, or it like, it suddenly has like, it makes an imprint on you, you know, like it, it really gets in and affects you. Um, those are moments where it goes beyond just like, consumerism in general into having like an actual, you know, I don't know if you'd call it an artistic experience or what, but certainly having an actual experience. Well, it's just spread amongst too many things. Cause it's like, it's like having too many children, like got 50 children. Like you can't really have a relationship with any one of them. Like, you know, um, I do have 50 children. Uh, so I know firsthand, but, uh, to your credit, you try to spend uh, quality time with all of them. I know. And, and uh, um, uh, I've yet to find one that pleases me enough. <laughs> so I'm going to keep having more children. Um, but yeah, you watch like too many movies or consume too many things. It's like, you know, uh, you don't have like that one special thing. Like I was always struck by like, uh, I watched, uh, um, uh, the documentary about the Beatles, uh, anthology or, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and so they were talking about the early days where they were just, there'd be like the one record that they'd get and then they'd play it over and over again. Cause it was like, there weren't that many like rock and roll records in the stores or whatever. I, I remember like, you know, kind of similar, like when you would have to wait for like a song to be played on the radio and you're like listening for like an hour and then suddenly, Oh my God, the great songs on like, you got so excited. Cause you're like, I love that song. And you know, I can't wait till they play it again. Like, um, Whereas now I can like listen to anything and, and, and I don't care about it as much as I, I would if it was like more scarce. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when, when you do hear it, like, I don't know, I find myself a lot more zoned out of it. I remember, I remember staying up at night with a blank audio tape in my, in my boom box, listening to the radio, just like hoping for certain songs to come up and then, and then you'd record, record them. As yeah. As comes Cause I'd have so many like little tapes where like you'd hear like the beginning of like the promo, like, yeah. all right, next up, blah, blah, blah. you know, and then it drove me crazy. Cause like the DJs would always talk about, talk over the intro. Yeah. So you wouldn't get like a clean recording. So every time you listen to that song, it was embedded in that song that you'd hear that stupid DJ. Yeah. And also there'd be like this weird order of songs, you know, that, it wouldn't be like a proper mixtape because you know, you couldn't like arrange them. It would just, you'd get used to listening to that tape in that order. Yeah. And and it kind of became yours though. It was like for, Mm -hmm. it was like, it's like watching like community television or something. It's just kind of so like, uh, uh, like lumpy and, and like not put together by design at all. You just kind of like 
caught it. it yeah. There was like that interesting thing of like, I don't know, you accidentally put this thing together and it ended up kind of like staying with you. There's still a bunch of songs that if, if I hear them actually played, they don't sound right to me because yeah. they, on my tape they got cut off 10 yeah. seconds in or whatever. Are, and I'm actually finding that like the older I get, the more I kind of really look forward to stuff that has that element of like weirdness to it or, or, or that thing that I can't quite predict or like it lacks a little bit of polish. That's the stuff that I, I feel really like possessive over. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think, uh, having so much has been not ideal. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, to, back up a little bit and, and, and talk about improv, obviously. Um, because what you were saying before about like movies, you know, can ideally be mutating into something more of like a community thing for like a smaller local community. That sounds exactly like David Shepard's whole point behind Mm -hmm. the compass and, and behind what improv is supposed to be to begin with, which I still think is a great idea. Um, to you, like what's the balance between improv being something that can speak very directly? I'm talking about improv as something that you put up in your theater, as someone who owns a, and operates a theater. Improv being something that speaks very directly to people and it's like reflects genuinely the concerns that you have on your mind or, 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 or where you are in your life versus it being a product that... that is sort of about like blanket entertainment or, or blanket polish or, or kind of like nailing it, doing playing your games exactly right or whatever. I don't, I, my question is somewhere in that long rambling thing. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I do think, you know, there is a bit of like the sort of personal experience, like, you know, you, you know, when people do a monologue deconstruction, obviously they tell these stories and, and, when somebody really shares things, it's like, uh, um, you know, you get this openness, uh, and this connection, uh, that, you know, doesn't normally occur in life, but, um, it could also incur in the improv and it can also steer the improv. Um, but then again, like, you know, uh, shows can be, I think the run of the mill show can be purely just about the comedy and that's totally fine. Um, Whereas sort of the risk and the the work um, is kind of more occasional, you know, and it's tricky to try and like have a, a um, uh, this experience like okay, we're all just going to like go on this journey together. We don't know where we're going to go, and it's going to be uh, um, just happen tonight uh, because uh, you know the skill in improv has gotten really good, and so there's it's just there's tons of great improv around and like people are good improvisers. So there's still kind of that sit back and like be passive in a sense. It's, it's definitely more active than any other, uh, you know, form of entertainment because you have to pay attention. You have to like be engaged when you watch improv, but the whole thing of like, well, um, uh, we don't know what's going on is, is sort of doesn't exist as much because, um, you can be savvy in terms of like conventional improv moves or things that you need to do and that it'll keep it a certain level of successful, you know? Mm. Um, it was interesting hearing, um, some of the guys from the committee talk about like the good old days, uh, uh, and how they would do some pretty risky stuff in their shows. And then also like 
they would engage the audience in terms of like talking about it you know that like they'd get people that would be really furious at some of the content of what they did and they would sit there okay so why are you mad you know talk to us about it and like uh and that's pretty fascinating uh but it's also super risky in terms of like you know what if it's just an ugly experience what if it's just not nice you know what i mean so uh but not many people i think would attempt to try and do that nowadays yeah do you coming up um can you think of of some like indelible experiences that you had watching shows in chicago that like left a real mark on you or stuff that kind of like set the bar for you or or, or gave you a sense of like the standards that you were aspiring to or just um, stuff that was like really like yeah alive. well i remember the first time uh, i watched an improv olympic show and it's a herald show um and uh i hadn't really seen any improv and i didn't even know what the herald was like it was crazy because i was taking charna's class and she kept on talking about the herald and i would ask her like what's a herald she's like uh, you know uh, um uh and there's kind of no way to answer that in level one but like it'd been like in class for four or five and uh and it was just like trippy and great like it just blew my mind you know like nowadays if i remember back on like what the herald actually was you know it wouldn't have been anything that crazy but back then like i'd never seen any long form um and i remember you know uh uh ended up staying for the second show and and just kind of having this buzz afterwards like wow this is so incredible and 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 it was the unknown which was great you know uh, um and to me like some of the most like significant times in my life has been when i felt like i'm going someplace unknown like even when you travel and you go to another country and you're like never been here you know and so artistically when you go like watch something or you know like i remember the first time listening to um sergeant pepper uh and that was like an unknown you know like i'd heard some songs here and there from it and also um you know people talked about what a great album it was um but the whole thing of like i'm just this is like a blank slate and i'm going to experience this for the first time uh and not have too much of an impression of what it's going to be like those are the kind of moments that are really awesome mm-hmm. you know whereas it's like you know like i'd rather be innocent and 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 uh you know not know anything about what i'm gonna experience uh and just kind of have this pure openness to it yeah i've always been really really interested in my own reactions to stuff that's like really new because a lot of times it'll be a negative reaction for me Mm -hmm. Uh, um but there are certain things that i'll see or experience for the first time that will kind of like leave me in a funk but then that funk lingers there's like it's almost like it leaves like an irritation in my mind and i start to become curious to like go back to it you know Uh, telling the difference between stuff that i just kind of genuinely don't care for versus stuff that my mind was set to screen out because it wasn't the same as the shit that i've normally been experiencing like i remember the first time i saw a racer head was that experience it Mm -hmm. like it just left me feeling i didn't know how i felt i couldn't make any sense of it at all and 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 it was like really bothered me for a while but like as time went on that feeling of being bothered by it i realized was like 
oh, it's like a new artistic experience I just had. I, I saw something I'd never seen before, and it actually like left this effect on me. So I've always been like really fascinated by like sorting out my negative reaction to stuff. And I don't know if that's true for everybody. I guess other people, like it sounds like you have positive first experiences of stuff. Well, it depends. Cause I remember seeing Eraserhead and, um, you know, and, and I think this is like the hard thing to do. Cause like some other people are really great about it. They try and see everything. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you could be a little too like protective of your time. Like, um, but that you could just like watch something and be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to reserve judgment and, and, just take it in and then not like uh filter it you know what i mean because like it's easy to like watch that movie and be like okay well all right you know it's it's a little heavy-handed like the pacing's real slow you know and you're like okay i get the point you know like um uh or you could just you know just be like all right i'm gonna let myself go um and and uh and not try and use you know whatever education you have in terms of like technique uh to um be processing it yeah right that's exactly sometimes you find yourself like when you're watching something rationalizing your experience of it and like explaining it to yourself instead of kind of like like you become the commentary on the dvd while you're watching totally the movie yeah which is sort of an insufferable thing to do like i remember with Eraserhead, i just like hating it the first time i saw it it was so slow and and so boring uh, uh, and these like long, uncomfortable stretches that just left me feeling so annoyed. But it was after the fact that like all that annoying stuff kind of stayed with me for a while. And I was like, oh wait a minute, that was that was like a really exciting experience actually. And I, like I remember the first Harold I saw was at the old UCB. Naked Babies did a three man Harold, and I remember feeling really nervous before it started. Uh, um, uh, uh, and it got so like they were just connecting so many things so rapid fire that I remember the feeling of it like they were moving faster than I was able to rationalize the mechanics of what I was watching and that was kind of like the real like rush for me it was like oh they actually just kind of short circuited my brain watching them because they were much much faster than than I was it was a really mm-hmm. cool feeling yeah yeah that that uh, um uh you get a transcendent experience because um, when you get lifted out of yourself, you know, and that to me is like always been like any, like movie, music, you know, art, uh, improv, like anything that for a short period of time you get disembodied from it, you know? And, and so, um, uh, and I don't know, sometimes like the work itself, like just grabs you and you don't have to like tell yourself to do it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but I think that has a lot to do with the potency of it, you know, that like that it seems when the people who are creating it or the people who are like in it, uh, also feel like they're being grabbed, you know what I mean? Like that this is new for them, yeah. you know? And you kind of see it like when, you know, some work moves a whole, uh, movement forward or, you know, raises the bar. It's just like you can see it in the actors, or you can see it in performers that, like, okay, we are operating in a new territory. You know what I mean? So I think it goes hand in hand in terms of the audience and um, the people that are in the act of creation. It's yeah. like, 
we're on this other level. And so I think with improv, it inherently has a chance to do that because obviously it's made up. But um, once we know so much about how to do a successful funny scene, it's hard to always improvise that way. I've just like, okay, I'm going in the deep end Mm -hmm. and I'm super excited because this is stimulating to me and, um, uh, and it's dangerous and it's causing me to dig deep and use all my intelligence and, and be perfectly in the moment, you know, cause like, um, uh, as opposed to just like, Oh, I'm so aware of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, so I think, I think the thrill of, of first doing it, uh, you do have it. Then after doing it for a while, it's just hard to, remind yourself to get to that place as much as you can. Yeah. Eventually, eventually your skills actually kind of become like a barrier. Mm -hmm. It it just becomes about like getting up and doing your thing well again and, and not being in that place where you're kind of being pushed to, to those riskier areas. Are, Are there any performers that you can think of that like have been pretty good at just keeping themselves pushed past that where where watching them is kind of like an exciting dangerous thing like they say that about Farley when he was young but I don't know if that was just him as an improviser or just him as a guy that he was he would um well I mean he was just like a maniac yeah like uh, um not I didn't say that as a in a bad sense you know because he, he was just determined to make everybody laugh well yeah I mean he was just sweet and uh wanted to connect you know what i mean like that was always the thing like i remember seeing uh chris farley in a bar uh and he was definitely like drunk um and he was by there but you know by himself and he was like just going around to all these strangers and like making them laugh you know and that's like how he's spending his time and and uh and and so uh and you know like when they laugh he'd get happy and then he'd kind of realize like oh okay uh Oh, maybe I've gone too far. And then you like go to somebody else or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, but like it's that, you know, it is, is this thing of like, you just purely want that, you know, like you purely want to engage the audience as opposed to like, you're above them. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like it's easy to kind of get above them in the sense that like, Oh, I've been doing this a lot. So here, take this, you know, you'll, I'll just do whatever and that'll work, you know? Uh, and that you, you get a protection that, um, you know, the audience can't hurt you because like, ah, I bombed a million times, so I don't care. And there's like a slickness that comes with that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always think like, um, an artist, uh, like they'll do stuff to, to make people mad. Like you look at Dylan and he just decides like, Oh, I'm not going to do acoustic anymore. Or you know, like John Lennon. And just like, he decides to like break away from like the Beatles image or whatnot. Like, that um those type of artists that just go okay well you like this but you know what like i'm done with that like i'm into something new like i think having the new you know infatuation is is important Mm -hmm. uh and that just like you know you need that like i need to feel alive because i'm into this new thing like this this is an old territory i'm not gonna write the same songs i'm not gonna write the same book you know um but it always risks like abandoning like the people that loved what you did before. Yeah. Um, 
And so it's kind of hard to find people that are consistently doing that in improv because um, uh, I don't know if there's enough space to do that unless you specifically set up a show where you're just going to like, we're going to like plumb the depths of like something totally different, you know? Um, Because like, you know, a lot of scenes are like a couple minutes long, maybe a minute long here and there. And so there's moments or whatever, but there's just not like that long stretch of time where I'm like, we don't know where we're going with this. Yeah. What would that be for you? Does anything come to mind? Like what would, what would be something that would kind of excite you to watch just from the sheer like ballsiness of it? Um, I guess I, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, there's a structure so much as that, um, the way you go about it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Obviously, trying to play more serious stuff would be the area to try and, you know, uh, get into the deep water in terms of uh, doing different kind of work where it's like you're going to do um, situations that you might not normally explore in, in scene work, like serious and difficult situations. Like sometimes it comes up like you might improvise something and you might play kind of an ugly character ugly situation and uh to me like i find that like fascinating and interesting uh and then it's just like you're purely kind of facing the horror of a a moment uh and then finding the comedy Mm -hmm. um uh but uh, you know i don't know that we often explore enough of our own weaknesses or human weakness like in improv but obviously that you know that's a very different animal, you know, for an audience where you show up like, oh, there, these guys are funny. And suddenly it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're just being awful. You know, and I don't mean like being awful in the sense of like kind of a punk rock show where you're just trying to be like, ah, screw the audience. You guys are so like, whatever. It's this thing of like, um, dealing with difficult stuff. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting because that makes me think of like what you were saying about the committee before and their way of like deliberately wanting to engage and, and, and I mean, cause I mean, they saw themselves as like, you know, the revolution. They saw themselves as, yeah. as like, they're going to change the way people think, or at least, you know, like force a dialogue politically, but I've seen shows where people don't do that politically, but where the content of the show definitely, it makes you cringe in a way that that is kind of exciting um, versus a way that's just kind of like shitty and stupid or, 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 or lazy or, you know? Yeah. I remember seeing a bit of theater, this guy, Jeff Gorshin, is it Gorshin or Gorchin? I can't remember. He's a guy in Chicago. Uh, and, and, uh, um, uh, yeah, and, and that was like one of those cool experiences because it was like this experimental theater thing and uh, one of the characters was Hitler and the other one uh, uh, was a Jew. And it was just a two-man show and they were like in clown makeup and, um, uh, and uh, you know, it was like I walked into it and be like, oh, God, it's going to be a bunch of pretentious bullshit. Uh and the first part of it was like, okay, this is totally fitting, like what I think it's going to be. And then they just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And I was like, uh, you know, and, and uh, dealing with, uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, uh, things from atrocities to, you know, 
dictators and things like that. And it was like, uh, yeah, um, obviously it was a written work, uh, so they could choose to do that. But like, I don't know, like I appreciated it, you know, uh, and it didn't seem like a, you know, a screw you to the audience kind of thing. Yeah. What, what is, um, you may not be able to answer this, but are there any things that come to mind when you think of the difference between a show that's pushing the envelope, but it is kind of like a, a screw you to the audience versus one that might not leave you feeling very comfortable to watch, but it's done with like real integrity or, or, or like real intelligence to it? Um, I'm blanking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's tricky cause it's like, there's definitely perceptions. Like I remember seeing a show called Dirt Clown and, uh, it was just basically a clown show, but they had like, uh, in their press release made it sound like there was this German show and there's this famous director. So the reviews it got, treated it like it was a serious show but basically it was just sort of a bunch of guys hitting each other with bats mm. and uh i remember seeing the last show in the run and um watching it and like there's me and a couple of improvisers um watching it and the rest was a kind of a straight theater going crowd uh and they just had german accents and they would like do some stuff um and like one thing they got, uh, you know, someone from the audience and they like put them in a chair and they started wrapping them in cellophane and everyone's just like watching really seriously. And we're like tittering and giggling and everyone's like giving us dirty looks like, Oh my God, like you guys are assholes. Like, you know, uh, and we just kept laughing throughout the show. And then eventually people started kind of like, Oh my God, this is just a funny show. Like this is not serious whatsoever. This is totally a ruse. Yeah. Uh, and we laughed our ass off at the show because it was really ridiculous. And, and this is like one of those times where it was like the audience had to be challenged, you know, uh, it, like they bought so much in the construct of like, oh, I got to see this intellectual thing and I got to be smart and there's a decorum to be had. Uh, and to me, like that was a really funny moment because, you know, it was improvisers putting on that show. So, um, you know, so there's times where it's like, I think challenging the audience are, is important, you know, mm-hmm. but there's also the times where it's like, you make it the fashion that it's like, oh, um, you know, we're supposed to be the rebellious, you know, and it's like, well, the rebellion is just something that's marketed, you know, and, and, and so to me, like, when things seem like it's edgy on purpose, I get, I find it like tame. Sometimes uh, just a really clean simple smart show to yeah. me feels like innovative and fascinating yeah. watching people not take the obvious routes that you could take or fuck with something or like have you seen the movie the straight story yeah yeah like that's a perfect example of just being really simple and i really enjoyed the hell out of it because it was like you know there wasn't much to it it was just like you know really just a simple story and and uh uh yeah, and I just remember like one shot where he's like driving the lawnmower across the bridge and he got this like boom shot, this crane shot where it kind of lifts up like something epic's going to happen then it comes back down and it's just like, it's just a guy driving a lawnmower across the bridge. Yeah, That to me was like a really funny shot. Yeah, it, that's actually, I found that a really funny movie. 
Yeah. Um, Hilarious. And, and there's like moments in it too that are really yeah. moving too. When when he meets up, the other old guy invites him out to the bar and they start talking about their experiences in the war. There's a really, I thought, very powerful scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and, and it's almost like it took the simplicity of the whole movie to kind of make that moment really land. You know what I mean? Like when you feel people kind of like manipulating the structure of the story to move you, then a moment like that just feels sort of like yeah. routine or something. It, it mm-hmm. becomes expected, but because it came up in the middle of this movie that otherwise was so like basic and stripped down, it like, it, it, it really sticks with you. Yeah. Um, uh, and you get two Farley brothers in there too. Um, that movie. And yeah. The mechanics. Yeah. Trying yeah. To screw them over. Yeah. And there was another, uh, movie like, uh, I can't remember. Was, I think it's an Italian movie. It's like Tree of the Wooden Clogs or something like that. Like mm. the wooden tree clog. It was again. It was just so simple and slowly paced, but it was like super earnest, and you really got to care about the characters a lot. You yeah. know, like there was like a sweetness and a terrible pain to it. Yeah, you know, and so like a lot of Italian neo realism. Uh, um, uh, it, that stuff's like really great because it's just like, all right, here are these people and there's no, uh, nothing adulterating them. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not to, that that's the ultimate goal that you do that all the time. Like I think long form, we got a bit of that, like you get away from short form. So it's kind of like neorealism in the sense that like, you know, you're doing longer scenes and so you're exposing yourself more, but that's not to say that you kind of just, that's only what you do, right. but it's just great to kind of think of improv in that way that we could attempt to have different approaches uh, uh, to get us away from things that we're doing too much and to um, uh, see it a different way and play it in a different way, you know? Um, um, And I think sometimes it kind of requires a radical approach I remember in a a class with you one time you saying that if you're doing a perfect Harold, you're probably not doing it right. Um, And and that always kind of struck, stuck with me uh, uh, that kind of by design, it's something that like stays in this sort of imperfect rough place that, that there are many different approaches, even in the same show that that can come together and coexist and and it's not about like the correct way to do it yeah like if it's just like so technically perfect you know like uh, if there's no messiness to it you know because um i don't know like uh, use the analogy of like um electronic music and and sort of early synthesizers trying to like reproduce a tone and like when the tune's perfect you know when you hit a tone perfectly electronically it just doesn't sound right you know and so when they had to like adjust it so that it's got like imperfections or, you know, um, uh, I think like with piano strings, it's like they have like string that's on pitch and one that's a little bit off, you know, one's a little flat, one's a little sharp. And like that combination of it makes it feel warm, mm-hmm. you know, that there's like stuff that in it, that's not a hundred percent perfect, you know? Um, and so it's not that, you know, that cliche of like, you know, uh, perfect is the enemy of good. Um, it's it's just kind of more of like, um, you know, you don't want it to be sterile. Yeah. You right. know, and that it's okay to like enjoy warts. You know, like when you see 
a, a beautiful person or, 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 or like if you sketch somebody's face and if you were to like take one side and make the other side perfectly symmetrical to it, it doesn't look right. Mm. And when you look at a person's face, like, like, oh, your nose turns this way and one eye is a little bit up, you know, one ear is a little bigger, like, you know, and that looks normal to us. Whereas if it was just like a, you just kind of flip the image, it would just look so alien to us. Mm. So we have to like just appreciate that and realize that our own work that like, you know, you paint something and it's like, it's never going to be perfect, but like, it's just done and feels done and it's got flaws in it. And those flaws can be really awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it, it actually, the longer you're doing it, the scarier it can be to, 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 to do something that isn't perfect or awesome oh, yeah. or consistently amazing. Like your reputation starts to kind of like weigh on your shoulders a little bit and, and, and you're less able to, to risk stretches of a show that aren't, amazing yeah it, it, like your own success can fuck with you pretty pretty bad i imagine with anything but like it, it, it seems to me like there's a certain point in improv where so much of it is about like unlearning stuff that you know and, and getting on stage needing a little less of the stuff that you came prepared to do to just like do that show yeah um uh is that so your name is is gigantic and i don't know how you feel about having like guru status across the country but you know like is that something that like weighs on you or something that you well, think about yeah i think about it and it's just i don't think like uh i don't give myself that kind of status like uh, um uh and it's also you know like i don't know people think what they think uh, um uh i think there's some things i'm pretty good at um but uh you know there's kind of no way to um sort of live up to anybody's expectations, you know? Uh, and so it's taken a while to kind of just be like, okay, well, I can't, I can only do what I do. And uh, um, uh, what I enjoy, you know, this is like, uh, is what happens now between me and other people. And so if I could teach a class uh, and that class does good work, like that to me has always kind of been the reward. Um and so, um, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, um, you know, people are strange that way. It's just like, uh, they just assume a lot. And, and, uh, uh, and so, you know, like, um, yeah, like, I don't know. I just don't like the idea of gurus anyway, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause I think every amazing person or teacher or artist, like is totally fallible. And to me, um, you know, uh, when you hear about like those things, some people get let down, you know, kind of like, oh my God, that guy's like total loser, you know, uh, or that guy, whatever, like, uh, um, did this or she did that, you know, like, um, and then suddenly it's like, oh, that person, you know, now I don't believe anything that person says. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're all super weak people. And, and, uh, I think you specialize in something there's something terribly wrong with you uh you know i mean that's like this is the one thing you embrace so much uh, to the exclusion of developing as a full human being uh so when i hear somebody's just like a guru or about something you know i know it's like this gonna be like a really damaged person yeah uh uh and that's okay with me you know i mean um and uh yeah and so it's just an odd thing um, but in a way, it's kind of, I end up ignoring it a lot too. So, 
Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I am looking for gurus to learn from or follow or, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I want to find people that will teach me stuff and to, you know, kind of the same way like with Dell or Mick or Noah, uh, um, all those guys who are just incredible teachers. And so to study with them and learn improv um, just changed me as a person and made me better. So it's kind of like um, uh, I want to keep on having that experience somehow. But, um, it, you know, I, I'm not taking any improv classes now. So uh, that's not happening. Yeah. But it doesn't know? have to be an improv, right? Like, yeah, or something else. Yeah. Those people in lots of different walks of life. Yeah. Um, uh, does that become harder the longer that you go to find those people or do, yeah. or do you have to learn how to be like more open to the experience? Like th- does your knowledge and experience become like a handicap after a while? Sometimes, you know, because like you can have an impatience, you know, like you can attempt, you could think that you're supposed to learn something immediately hmm. and you need to have a certain amount of frustration and just failure at something. Uh, and so you try and take lessons of some kind, like, and something's not coming to you, you know, like. Uh, you know, I've been trying to learn guitar and uh, taking lessons at first, which is like, wait a second, I'm, I know how to learn stuff. You know, I should be learning. It's like, you got to just make the mistakes and you got to just be crappy at it. And then you're like less crappy, Yeah. you know, and then maybe at a certain point you're good. Um, but it's harder when you've been around because then you're in a hurry. You don't want to spend the time. So it's like when you're in your twenties and you know, you're just, you get the luxury of just doing improv classes and like spending all your time doing it. You could put those, the time in to do it and you can have the failure. And you also judge it from that perspective, as opposed to, uh, having some belief that you're an expert of mm-hmm. some kind, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, what do we know? I don't know anything. Um, but you got to go into it with that, you know, feeling of like, uh, you know, I'm nobody, you know, I'm just going to learn how to make pottery and, you know, be terrible at it and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I would you say that those are like when you have students in your classes who have that spirit where they seem to be like perfectly happy when they screw things up and it doesn't it doesn't hang over them. Yeah, those are always enjoyable students as opposed to the ones who have um all the definitions in their head like they've yeah. got all the rules and oftentimes I'll see those people stop in a scene. Suddenly during a scene, the scene seems to be fine. And suddenly like they just stop, mm-hmm. they hit a wall and I ask them like, okay, well what's going on? It's like, well, I realized like, you know, this is a transaction scene and it's like, okay, so you stopped, you know? Um, because the thing that was more important to them was that they broke a rule mm-hmm. rather than it's like, okay, well I'm in a transaction scene. Let me find what's interesting about it, you know? And so that's where it's tricky. And, and so in my class, like I end up like kind of giving people a hard time about just being obsessed by rules, mm-hmm. you know, and like finding the game, like, yeah, you know, find it, but like, don't, don't let it haunt you. Don't let it like inhibit you because, um, you're neurotic about it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you got like molested by the rules and now you can't improvise because <laughs> it touched you in an inappropriate place. Right. You know, or let it define your scene for you. I, I yeah. like I, I, the first 
I think the very first class I ever did with you, I remember you you talking about the game and the scene and, and talking about how how sometimes you can be playing the game perfectly well and have no idea how to say exactly what it is, but you can feel it. Yeah. And that's fine. And, 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 you know, you're okay. Just do that. And, uh, I just remember what, what a relief that was to hear because you get so used to being like stopped and like tested to make sure that you know the right answer to what you're doing, which like for some people's brains, I'm sure is fine, but for other people's brains, it's a real head fuck. So just like having that permission and that kind of like trust that like, you're fine. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to like overthink it or overwork it. You can kind of just like, play with these other people and kind of figure it out as you go and that's enough that was a big thing of like I found in your classes I don't know if it makes you uncomfortable to talk about your own classes but I found in your classes so much of the pleasure of it was feeling like it it was more about taking stuff away that wasn't helping rather Mm -hmm. than putting stuff in that would help yeah that was my experience anyway yeah because I you know I think inspiration's important, you know, because like uh, when, you know, I have a class and the class becomes like uninspired and they start doing like crappy work and it's like, well, you know, I know that they know the mechanics of improv, but like today nobody's like really like surfing on some kind of great ideas, you know, and it's this thing of like, well, you know, all the improv rules, but sort of the material that the substance that you're putting into this mechanism you know, like the, the raw materials, you know, shit in, shit out, you know what I mean? So like, I think you got to balance this thing between just like the idea of game and then truth, you know, like that when you get like an exciting truth, an exciting topic, uh, an area, and you also sort of use the skills that you have and you put those things together, that's ideal, you know what I mean? Um, but I tend to lean a little bit more on like, I'd rather see something be like truthful, inspired and a little sloppy. I'd rather see that kind of a show versus one that's just so, you know, technically, you know, antiseptic, but then there's nothing inspired. And, Mm. and, you know, I'll see a lot of those improv shows, you know, uh, where people are like, so geared towards like, you know, uh, they've got such a, you know, like mechanical view of like how to improvise. And then I'm like, I don't care about this show. Like, um, whereas like you kind of see a light bulb go off and like, Oh my God, this, this was such a great discovery. So trying to find that balance of like being open to discovery, you know, it's like, you know, game without truth is kind of weak, you know, uh, truth with some game makes it like, obviously have some kind of focus and purpose. Mm-hmm. So you need a bit of both. It's like this thing of like science and religion. Like you got to either be into science or religion. It's like, why can't you be into both? Mm-hmm. Why can't you sort of see the ways they cross over, you know? Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, um, yeah. Do you think that audiences these days um, go into shows with a higher expectation of the amount of polish that they're going to see in an improv show? And, 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 and do you think that that would make it harder for an improviser to kind of hang out there in the danger zone a little bit of not doing like perfect improv, but doing something that like has the possibility of, of leading somewhere really interesting instead of just being like really sharp and fast and tight right now? Um, well, I mean, I think there could be tougher crowds. Um, and uh, I think you can't, 
you got to just play how you would play, you know, um, because if you do do something really strong, uh, you'll be able to win them over, you know, uh, um, uh, and you might not still, but, um, but you become more aware of it. You know what I mean? Suddenly like it's that thing of like success you're talking about. Suddenly you're like, Oh, I'm on a team. And like, you know, we're selling our houses and everybody is like talking about our teams. And then you suddenly get spooked, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of realize like, Oh my God, I'm flying. I'm flying. I could fall, you know, like, and you should just have the happy thoughts that make you fly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. Audience is there. Um, uh, but you, you know, you end up, starting from zero every time if you realize that whatever you're doing you're like okay well i don't achieve anything you know and that's kind of how i think of myself i'm just like i haven't achieved anything i haven't done anything with my life uh, uh and so i should do something you know like i haven't you know i haven't you know all the improv that you have ever done doesn't exist anymore you know it's not made out of stone so if you realize okay i'm at zero again now I have to approach it the same way of like, this is a pure endeavor of like, um, you know, you don't rest on your laurels. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting way to, to think about that. I just came from a family function this week and, and those are kind of the worst for putting you in your head about defending some of the choices that you make or defending the thing that you really love, but mm-hmm. you don't have anything to show for it, you know? And improv is interesting, uh, um, like specifically for that reason. That that I think the longer you stick with it, the easier it is to kind of. If you're not if you're not climbing the ladder, you know, uh, um, to start to feel kind of like sad about having nothing to show. Yeah, I mean, everybody needs validation, and so people go through these times where uh, they get shocked by it, like where it's like you know, they're striving so hard to get on a team, then they get on a team and then they, you know, and then all their problems aren't solved and they're not like suddenly, uh, um, in this like easy life, you know, where suddenly there's no resistance and everything they do is just, you know, wonderful. Uh, or you get on SNL and again, all your problems aren't solved or you get a movie or, you know, um, but those type of things like, can help validate you because, um, you know, it's a life risk, uh, because you're like, okay, well I could, you know, I could become part of a company and I'll have an income and, uh, there's structure there and, you know, you got a retirement insurance or you could try and be an actor or performer improviser. And so, uh, it's a very vain and, and, uh, egocentric, arrogant choice to make in a way because you're just like well you're devoting your life to this and it could just be a complete disaster uh and more likely will be uh sorry if i'm discouraging any but you know be like yeah it's not you know there's not money to be made unless you really make it uh so you you kind of grasp at these things you know like these life rafts of this oh i'm on a team or like i just um got a commercial i just you know got a great review like you just live for those things and so they're important um uh but they can become kind of consuming too yeah they can kind of take you away from your from your i don't know the word for it your from your from your place yeah yeah you know you can start approaching it differently because you're reading reviews or or because 
you think like, oh, I've achieved this status. And so now I'm top of the mountain and I'm never supposed to be at the bottom. But then so often people find themselves at the bottom again. Suddenly it's like, oh, your team got broken up or, you know, like, um, you you should move on. Like, you know, and then they find themselves being like, um, it's this free agent without a land, you know, like you got no country. Uh, so what do you do now? You know? And so yeah. inherently I try and tell people is like, you, you have to just know what it is that you care about, know what it is that you love, you know? And, and, uh, you know, been through that experience where it's just like, you know, uh, I started something and I lost it. Uh, and then, it was a terrible experience. And then suddenly I realized like, you know what? I still want to do that thing. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and then you have to just sort of like crystallize like your beliefs. Like for me, that experience was like giving up a theater. I helped start, uh, because it was just not going the direction I wanted it to go. Uh, and it was a very unhappy experience. And then realizing like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I still want to start a theater. Um, and it making me more resolute in the things that I believe, uh, and the reason for doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And so failure and loss, uh, can be an important part of like your growth because you're like the worst thing that you could imagine just happened to you. Now you can't give up. You got to get up and live another day and you got to decide like, oh, okay, is this thing that I love still the thing I love? And what can I learn in terms of my own approach uh, how do I do this better? You know, and that you hopefully become more determined because you're just, okay, well that hurt and that was very difficult, but I still want to keep moving on and you become tougher. Like stand up, like is all about that because like you just bomb and you bomb and you bomb and you bomb. So you get it all in the front, you know, you get it in the beginning where it's just like your teeth kicked in and you really have to love stand up to keep on going. And so, I really respect the process that stand-ups go through. It's mm-hmm. like doing the open mics and you have to kind of find yourself. Improv, it's kind of inverse and so that we give a lot of reward and hugs and encouragement in the beginning and then suddenly the real world hits them later, which is like, well, what if I want a career? You know, And then they get the rejection. So it could be kind of shocking. I think that's a criticism that's leveled against us here specifically at The Magnet a, yeah. a bunch of times that that our biggest strength as teachers at this theater sometimes turns into something that can upset people because we, we reward you with... We're, we're very warm and accepting. And, and, and I, I think most of the teachers I, I can name here kind of teach from a point of view of uh, that it's more about kind of celebrating what's what's great and unique about people and letting bad habits kind of fall by the wayside over time rather than reinforcing how to get rid of these bad habits and whatnot but there is kind of something of i mean i've experienced it myself for sure you get very used to the nested feeling you get used to the warm hug feeling of it and and you're not 100 percent prepared for like your first rejections and stuff whether that be auditioning for a team or 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 giving a go at a career or or being at a family function and you know explaining to people just what the hell it is that you are spending your time doing which is a weird thing because like I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Because like I, you know, the reason why I'm here is because I believe in, in what we teach. And I think that we have the best school and probably I'd stack us up anywhere in the country. You know, I think we're a really great school and, and I believe in the way that we teach improv. So like, how do you feel about, about 
about that gap between using positive reinforcement to make people better, stronger improvisers and, and, and open them up to be better artists and, and care about it. And then hitting that gap where now you need life to kind of like toughen you a little bit. Well, I mean, I look at it this way as like, I think of it as kind of like a ramp, you know, that, you know, it's more encouraging in the beginning, but then later on, you get harder notes and you get challenges and like that's the difference between me teaching a level one and me teaching um an upper level class is like you know you're going to get harder notes in upper level class and so it's just it's geared towards okay now you're not a baby you're an adult i'm going to talk to you like an adult um but uh, um you know i mean there could be all kinds of models for it and i don't know that um i have some kind of insight into like what a perfect model is or whatever. Um, I know what I prefer. Um, but you could also go to the model where it's like, all right, let's just get it in as many people as possible. And so, um, there'll be a lot of loss and attrition, but the ones that still stick around, you know, they're going to be better. Uh, and, and so that's like another way of going about it where it's just kind of like, well, you know, you're going to, uh, try and scare away as many people as possible uh and only the strong will survive but my feeling on that is that um you may only sort of um develop a very like narrow uh section of the type of improviser you know like they all suddenly become the same you know like you get too much like there could be like perfectly original voices that you would have um, that just need a little bit of nurturing in the beginning and you could be tough on them later. You know what I mean? Like, like when I give hard notes, like I could be very severe and blunt, but they don't come out of a place of like, um, you know, anger or resentment, you know, and they come out of a place of love. I was like, okay, now I'm going to push you, uh, because I see the potential in you, but I'm not going to like, stroke you or tell you you're great when you're not doing great work, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it achieves the same effect. And so I think, um, to me, uh, yeah, you know, in the beginning it's good to be encouraging nurturing, but then later, uh, I think it's also good to push people like, you know, you're trying to get a good workout. And so, um, if you don't get your heart rate up, if you don't like stress your muscles, uh, you won't get stronger. So I do think, there has to be a more difficult level. Uh, and then, you know, life is going to kick you in your teeth no matter how well you're prepared. But, like, a, a big thing I'm taking away from this conversation is is that idea of, like, starting over again at zero being mm-hmm. being kind of a great thing. Like, ha- having, having kind of, like, an open-handed attitude towards that because it, it, it's a, an opportunity to constantly learn some more and constantly push yourself some more and, 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 and to make it a little bit more dangerous the next time around or a little bit more alive the next time around. That seems to be a pretty great lesson to, to draw. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, suddenly you got to rebuild yourself and maybe you'll build yourself, rebuild yourself with slightly different materials. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like kind of throwing out a draft. Like I've been working on the screenplay for eight years and be like, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out. I'm not going to use any of my notes and I'm just going to rewrite it from what I know, you know, like doing things from memory or whatever and, and see what sticks, you know, a lot of times with scripts, like doing that where it's like, all right, 
you know, here's the script. We've rehearsed it now. Let's toss it out and like, let's replay the script from memory and stay in the moment. And because there's the missing stuff, like we can find the new stuff. You know, we might find something stronger without having to be so wedded to the old script, you know? And so it's not a practical thing to do in your life because uh, you got to survive and mm. you might have people dependent on you. But um, as an artist, I think you have to do that from time to time. Uh, and the job of like any artist is like, you know, you're sort of the canary in the coal mine, you know, for society where it's like um, you're sensitive to the things that are happening and can make us aware of whatever dangers uh, or, you know, um, you know, the, your job as an artist is to constantly get lost, you know, that um, you'll know your way for a while and then you got to be completely lost. And so in your career, uh, it'll happen from time to time. Um, but how you deal with it is kind of the, the big difference where you just kind of realize, okay, yeah, I'm lost, but it's okay. This is just me in a lost period. You know, like, it's easy to kind of think like, oh, I don't know how to do anything and, and I'm a failure and I got to quit. Or it's just like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing um, and that's okay. And you could be more sooner open to the direction that you got to go because mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I'm just happy to be lost. So all the, the ways I've been guiding myself, let me just kind of let go of that for now and look for the open secret door to go through. Mm-hmm. You know, is that for you specifically when you go through those periods? Is that something you have to tell yourself? And oh is yeah, that like that's a, a trust thing then of of being yeah. being okay, feeling kind of yeah. Great for a while. It's hard because like we want comfort and safety. Yeah, we want to know what's going on, but it's just like an improv scene where uh, you don't want to pre-plan it because it won't be spontaneous and it, you won't find like inspiration. You won't like make a discovery. And so in life, it's that thing of like you know. Um, there's just times in my life where it's like, all right, I'm hitting a wall and I got to go about life in a completely different direction and learn a whole, like, whole nother skill set. You know, it's that cliche, follow the fear that Dell said, um, uh, where it's like, okay, I'm really afraid of trying to do this project or doing this. Cause like, I don't know how to do that. Um, uh, and uh, everything else that used to be easy, suddenly difficult for some reason. Like that would always happen to me where I'm like, gosh, you know, I used to have this routine where I, I could do all these things and be successful. Suddenly now it's not. So when that starts happening, then I know it's like, great. I'm supposed to like learn a whole bunch of new stuff and try it. Uh, and it's hard to take that risk, especially as you get older. Like, you know, you want to have that stat, you want comfort. You want to like feel like, you made it, you know, and sort of realize, no, I've, nobody's ever made it, you know, and you kind of realize that, you know, like, um, there's just not a destination where you just go and like, great, I retire, mm-hmm. you know, you got to just keep fighting. Yeah. Really quick, uh, before we end, uh, you're performing, you got a couple of shows lined up with Christina Gaussis doing Diaz and Gaussis again after, uh, are we? A, a chunk. yeah, oh yeah, you definitely are. You're okay. on the calendar. Check it out, man. Uh, well, check our website. You, would it be fair to describe you as a reluctant improviser? Yes. Why? Um, I just don't think I'm great at it. Uh, and, uh, like, uh, I get into my head and, uh, I see someone like Christina who's just so incredible and I'm just hanging on for dear life. Uh, and so 
I feel like, you know, I'm with this, this great singer and I got like a cracky voice and I'm just trying to keep in key and in tune. So me knowing too much about improv makes me realize like how weak of an improviser I really am, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even more so than from before. What is it about Christina that pulls you through it? Like, cause you keep on agreeing to do shows with her and you've turned down, you've turned down practically every show I've ever asked you to do. So yeah. what, what, what is she, that's not a hundred percent true. You've done, you've done a couple of shows I've asked you to do, but, oh, yeah. but still feeling that insecurity. What is it about that show that, that, uh, keeps you coming back for it? Well, I know like she'll just go places that, you know, she'll just, she's totally adventurous, but, um, uh, you know, I guess there's a certain safety with that and that's probably, uh, but there's also a certain danger too. Like it's both dangerous, super dangerous, super safe with her, but it's not that I wouldn't improvise with you or other people, you know? Um, um, but if I have to kind of pick and choose like the rare times that I do improvise, mm-hmm. like, uh, it's a real treat to do it with her. Uh, and, I know I can take huge risks with her, Hmm. you know, and, and it's kind of nice. So, um, and I think, uh, yeah, like, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I guess like, like in a certain way, like, um, there's, there's, there's a certain communication that we have, which is great. Yeah. That there's a a great Elaine May quote of, uh, the only safe, the only safe, bet is to take a risk, which kind of reminds me of watching your guys' shows together. Uh, uh, and it's interesting how you describe it that way, that there's something kind of, it's safer because she's so adventurous. Um, because like, yeah, you guys will, will get into some uncomfortable territory in that show and play it at a hundred percent to like very unapologetically, which I, 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 maybe I'm wrong about this, but I kind of think of as like a Chicago thing these days. It, it, it's interesting getting the different temperatures of different cities when you travel around and do shows, but like, it's not something that I think of as being like germane to New York improv of really being unafraid to play a a very uncomfortable relationship at a hundred percent and, and see where it goes. And it's something that you guys do practically every time you play because we're never thinking about the game hmm. armando diaz ladies and gentlemen thanks for talking uh and check out uh um classes online you're you're sketch back in two the business. Is up. sketch two is up and you're teaching improv classes again which is a delightful treat to see the best improv teacher in the world folks uh uh, uh and uh okay that's it uh armando thanks for talking man. i appreciate thank it thank you too kind uh, this has been the podcast, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to our producer, Evan Ford Barton, and thank you to our engineer this evening, also Evan Ford Barton, also our executive producer, Ed Herbstman, Armando Diaz, our very special guest, and all you wonderful people listening to the podcast as well. Thank you all so much, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. 
Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.